Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. JT, as we continue, good to have you back here on a Monday, March Madness, Bristol. Wow, a lot of stuff got rained out or pushed back over the weekend in the Midwest, the big storms in Tennessee and Alabama. So get a chance to watch NASCAR Live, which is a passion of mine, which is a lot of fun. We're brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. Remy Martin, and I'm excited because Remy Martin plays a really big role in the new Raiders tavern and experience that they have at the M Resort and Casino, and we'll be over there on Wednesday for the grand opening. Really excited about that. So that will be on Wednesday, the Raiders Tavern and Grill, the grand opening. In between my radio shows, I'll be out there between 4 and maybe 6 o'clock before i got to get back on the air at 7. Very happy for everybody over at the M, a proud partner of the Silver and Black. And I walked that property there about two weeks ago and got a chance to see what Remy Martin's doing there in the back of that venue, and it's going to be really cool. So if you're on that side of town, if you're a fan of the M, you're a Raider fan, I really think you're going to be impressed with the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Right when you come in, and you'll see it right there to your left, it's fantastic off the front valet, and I was very impressed. Looking forward to going there and hanging out with my friends from Remy Martin. So a couple of big things I wanted to get to as I – Think think about the Raiders all the time and over the weekend, and I keep upgrading my depth chart, and we're getting ready for the draft. So what we're going to do here over the next couple of weeks is we're all in on the draft. Uh, We'll get through the tournament this week. We'll get to the Final Four, the National Championship game next Monday. We'll keep an eye on the Golden Knights and everything they're doing to stay ahead of Colorado in that fight for the one seed out west. And and just everything that's happening here in town, Kevin Kruger – Got hired from UNLV. Looking forward to talking to him sometime, either this week or next week. And I'll be jumping in with him and his dad and the Coaches versus Cancer team. But with the Raiders, I have a depth chart here in my home office. And I looked at it over the weekend. I actually looked at it with my youngest son, who's a senior in high school. And he likes to do mock drafts. One of the traditions that I have with my sons is I tell them to go away and do a mock draft and bring me a mock draft. Just do a first-round mock draft, and we have fun with that. And we talk about who's moving up and trades. And when this Niner trade went down and where the Niners moved up to number three, I was very positive on that because if you look at the picks now, the Niners from 12 moving up to three, the Niners made it clear that they want a quarterback, and they want one of these big quarterbacks. And now we have to guess who they want to get. But here's the way I looked at it as a positive for the Raiders in the draft because we don't know what the Raiders are doing. I found out very last, and I'm talking last, not minute, last hour that they were going for Henry Ruggs III last year because they were going receiver and they went with Ruggs for a particular reason, which I hope that reason comes to prevail this year and he's more of a Tyreek Hill and he's that type of player who can make plays touching the ball behind the line of scrimmage, running the go routes the way he did against the Jets running more reverses, just stretching the field. Henry Ruggs III has got to play at a really high level. So, looking at the draft, here's what excites me the most today on Monday. Because the Niners traded up, and a lot of people are speculating they want 
Mac Jones out of Alabama. I think they're going to take Justin Fields out of Ohio State, but I'll have the opportunity to change my mind here in a month. There are five quarterbacks that are going to go before the Raiders pick at 17, which is great because the Raiders don't need a quarterback. They have an abundance of quarterbacks. They have Derek Carr, and again, happy birthday to Derek yesterday. He just turned 30, and they have Marcus Mariota. And Marcus Mariota is, he could be traded. Again, New England, I always thought New England wanted him and would trade for him, but Jimmy Garoppolo is in play also if the Niners go with a quarterback. And Nathan Peterman, who John Gruden has always been really into who can play. So the Raiders are fine at quarterback. So those are five players that are going to be taken before the Raiders at 17. That's incredible to me. Now, let's add on to that five, Kyle Pitts, the great tight end of Florida, who could be the number one player in the draft. He's that dominant. He's Darren Waller, but younger, and probably more polished than Waller was as a backup player and with the issues that Darren had. So Pitts is going to go right there in the top six, seven, eight. So you got the five quarterbacks in Pitts, and we equal six. Then the wide receivers, who all are going to go before the Raiders pick. That would be Jamar Chase out of LSU, Devontae Smith, the Bolitnikoff winner from Alabama, and Jalen Waddle from Alabama. So you add four plus five, you get to nine. So now there's only eight players before the Raiders have to go. So if you take out the quarterbacks, which I'm asking you to do, if you take out the wide receivers in the tight end, which I'm asking you to do, you're going to have roughly, and then Penny Sewell, the great offensive lineman from Oregon. I just named you 10 players that are 100% going to go before the Raiders at 17. So for me, a simple guy, now I'm looking at the draft for just seven players for the Raiders to concentrate on. Because I'm hoping the Raiders don't trade back. I really am. I'm hoping that the Raiders trade back. But now, after the Niner deal, and pretty comfortable that five quarterbacks are going to go, three wide receivers and a tight end and an offensive lineman in the first ten, now the Raiders are going to pick the seventh next football player in the entire draft. And that's what I'm concentrating on going forward. You know, I'm big on Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. I think he could be the best defensive player taken overall. Well, I don't think he's going to be available for the Raiders at 17. So I take him off the list. I think Patrick Sertan, the second, the Alabama corner, is going to be gone. So there's two more players. So there's only five players for the Raiders to look at. And now I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen with the offensive line. Rashawn Slater from Northwestern could be the pick that the Raiders want. Also, uh, Vera Tucker, Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman, the tackle out of USC, might be gone, but he could fall to the Raiders. And I I don't want the Raiders to take a tackle, a right tackle with that first pick overall, but they might do it. I'd like to see them go on the defensive side. And then also on the offensive line from Virginia Tech, Christian Dawashaw is going to be available or be taken right before the Raiders. So I flip over my depth chart, and then I get to the defensive line, the edge rushers. And that's where my head's at. Quiddy Pay out of Michigan. Uh, Jason Owe out of Penn State. Jalen Phillips out of Miami. Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. Those players are all going to be right in the Raiders' wheelhouse. And then the safety out of TCU, Trayvon 
Moeg's going to be there. I think I, – I just hope the Raiders don't go first-round safety. We've seen what's happened with that in the past. Not that this kid out of TCU can't be great and is the best safety available, but again, I think the priority for the Raiders is to get better on defense. If you look at everything they have up front on the offensive line, Andre James, Richie Incognito, Denzel Good, Nick Martin, as I would think would be the backup center or start until Andre James was ready, Lester Cotton, Colton Miller, John Simpson, Sam Young, with all the players that the Raiders have up front, I look at the Raiders and I say, would it be great for them to get a tackle and one of these super elite right tackles? Absolutely. Because there might be one there that's just too good to pass on. But I'm still thinking that the Raiders are going to benefit from all the quarterbacks that are taken, all the position players that are taken, and Mike Mack and John Gruden would have the opportunity, and here's the big hook, to trade up from 17 and maybe trade up to 13, 14, or 15 and get Micah Parsons out of Penn State, the linebacker. Maybe if they believe that they have to go get someone off the edge, this quitty pay out of Michigan will be there for them. If they love them that much, they can move up and get them. But I wouldn't move up and get a player like him. I'd wait for him to come down because there's a lot of edge rushers. So the reason I'm bringing this up today is I think it's a positive that there's a run on the five quarterbacks that are going to be taken. By the time Carolina picks at number eight, all the quarterbacks should be gone. And that's going to make it easier on Mike Mayock and John Gruden, who don't have to go quarterback, and are going to be able to concentrate on what they need to do. They don't need the tight end. They don't need the wide receivers. I don't believe. Look, if you look at one of the great wide receivers to ever play college football, and Devontae Smith drops down, would Gruden take him in the first round? I'd be shocked. Because as we look at the Raiders' depth chart at receiver with Ruggs, Renthro, Edwards, John Brown, Willie Sneed, who was just signed, Zay Jones, with the depth that they have at the wide receiver position and the production from Darren Waller, I don't think they have to go with the special wide receiver overall in that, in that first-round pick. So I was excited. I, I am really excited for the Raiders to get the player that they want at 17. If they don't trade up to get him, okay. If they find the player that they want and they go up and get him, I'm going to be excited about that. And still, I think there could be a trade for the Raiders with Marcus Mariota, depending on what happens to Bill Belichick if he can't get Jimmy Garoppolo. If he can't get Jimmy Garoppolo, I always thought that Marcus Mariota would be a really good pick. But fortunately for the Raiders, they were able to redo that contract at a cheaper rate. And by doing that contract at a lesser price, now the Raiders can afford to keep Mariota and not pay him a lot of money and have a super elite backup quarterback. Uh, one other big topic I want to get to before we come back, uh, the cover story also. Vinny Bonsignor had it, our teammate here. Raiders could get an extra home game. It looks like tomorrow the vote will be to approve the 17th game to be scheduled. If approved, it looks like the Raiders will get an extra home game this year at Allegiant Stadium, and that game would be with the Chicago Bears, which would be a big game. Chicago has a big fan base. Those fans would want to come out here. Uh, Vinny was kind enough to put the Raider home schedule down. Broncos, Chiefs, Chargers, the Ravens, which I think is going to be the biggest home game of the year. The Bengals, which I hope the Raiders win easily, but you don't know if it's going to be easily. The Eagles, remember the Eagles traded down. They're going to go with Jalen Hurts. 
So the Eagles don't seem, seem like they're going to get one of these flash quarterbacks. They're waiting till next year. The Dolphins come to town. Washington, and as I mentioned, the Bears being that eighth. You look at all their home games now. For the Raiders to get a ninth home game would be great. The road schedule for the Raiders would be the Steelers, which is always tough. The Browns going to be very tough. The Cowboys going to be tough. Broncos, Colts, Chiefs, Chargers, all tough. All tough. And the Giants playing the Giants in New York. So that road schedule for the Raiders, I believe, will be harder than the home schedule. But let's get into what that seventh home game, excuse me, the ninth home game means and what you think of that with the 17-game schedule. I think it's a beautiful thing. Another opportunity for us to tailgate, to get to Allegiant Stadium. And everybody who's touring Allegiant Stadium and my friends who are going are coming back just blown away. Blown away. That's not company line. I love the stadium. I was there for every home and away game last year. And I was telling you that the whole season. When you get a chance to get into the stadium and you see that there's going to be an extra home game, it's going to be awesome. Now, for the players and the league and the television contract and what that means, look, there's going to be some players who complain about it. Alvin Kamara is already complaining about it. It's a dangerous sport. Football players get hurt playing football. And it's tough to stay healthy. Look at the Raiders last year. They had to deal with massive injuries. They had to deal with COVID. And they had to deal with a lot of players who weren't even available to practice. So if you make the season longer, how is that going to benefit the Raiders? Well, you just hope that this year they're fortunate to have healthier players. Players are available more. We don't have fluke injuries. And the Raiders don't have a rash of COVID with Everybody about to get vaccinated, I think that's going to be a good thing. And I don't think that's going to be an issue going forward. But overall, I'm encouraged here. After everything that the Raiders have done in free agency, the depth that they have at quarterback, they have tremendous depth at the running back position. A lot of these insiders are killing the Raiders for taking Kenyon Drake. That running back is a luxury considering the offensive line hasn't been you know, upgraded without Rodney. And Gabe Jackson, and that's fair. And I think the linebackers going forward need to be upgraded. And that's why I told you that I think the Raiders could go get a linebacker at 17 and just put him in there to start until one of the other linebackers via Morrow, Littleton, and Kwiatkowski, that one of you guys are going to a rotation because we got a stud that's coming in here and it's going to start over everybody. I don't like the depth at the cornerback position. I think the Raiders... Want to get better? I think they should get better with a veteran quarterback. Isaiah Johnson, Nevin Lawson, Nixon, Amik Robertson, Darrell Worley, that doesn't impress me. I don't think that's elite on any level as they try to wait for Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett to get better. And then the Raiders have a gaping hole at safety with Jonathan Abram there. Heath and the, the, you know Levitt, what they're trying to do is get a veteran safety that can cover center field and from Richard Sherman to anybody else I'd be open with anybody who can do it and could do it better than these guys nothing against Jeff Heath he can play he's a nice player to have on the team but we saw what he did last year that's not the player I'm looking for this year I'm looking for a star to be here but one you know the last thing as we wrap this up it's it's a big month for the Raiders the Raiders got to decide the player they wanted the Niners already did The Niners already decided the player they wanted, and they traded up to go to number three to get him. I I expect the Raiders to do the same thing. 
if the Niners, who already have Jimmy Garoppolo, had the ability in their war room to look at the third pick and say, we got to go to the third pick and get Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, whoever it's going to be, that's our guy. I give them credit for doing that. Now it's time for the Raiders to say, who do we want at 17? Will he be there? Maybe. Okay, if he's not, who do we definitely know who's going to be there? Can we trade back to get that same player and get more value, or do we have to trade up and go get the player we need? That's going to be a big focus of what we talk about here on Raider Nation Radio for the entire month. And then we get into the summer after the draft, and you'll have this Raider depth chart, and it'll be pretty solid. And then hope that these guys can practice every day and get ready for a really good season. 702-365-9200. What do you think about the Raiders in the draft now, now that I told you that the quarterbacks will be gone, Pitts will be gone, the wide receivers will be gone? Are you more encouraged that Mayock can get it right, knowing that there's only five or six players left on the board after the run of quarterbacks and outside explosive receivers and tight ends are gone? I think it's great news for the silver and black as we continue. Brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore, Boulder Highway in Henderson. They have the super deals you're looking for. Heard one of their TV commercials this week, and Brett Musburger was the voice of their spots. We're the voice right here on the radio. Head on out to Boulder Highway in Henderson. Let's get your phone calls going. We'll take them next. Give an update on March Madness and everything going on later tonight. 702-365-9200. Thanks for listening on the Raiders mobile app and lvsportsnetwork.com. Our ball movement against the zone that first half, um, you know, was not good. I let the guys down. You know, I, I didn't have them ready for that zone. I thought we were. But their length and athleticism really bothered us. And, um, you know, we just we didn't have good ball movement. We took some, you know, the other night our, against Iowa, our ball movement was so good and we made the extra pass. And, you know, our guys tried to take too many shots off the dribble against that length and, and um, kind of dug ourselves a hole. And we lost some of our energy on the defensive end, which really hurt us. That's Dana Altman, who we had on last week. He lost to USC last night. We'll get into a reset of the tournament. Roxy Bernstein, the great broadcaster in the Bay Area from ESPNU and Pac-12 Radio, will join us here in a little bit. JT, back with you on a Monday. Good to be with everybody. Wow, what a long weekend. A good weekend over at the Virgin Hotels as they had their grand opening. Was excited to be out there for that. Stopped by Stadium Swim yesterday for the Michigan game over at Circa. Had a buddy in town who had a cabana. That was interesting, to say the least. Great time. A big place. Great place to watch outdoor sports. So I enjoyed that. And now we have uh, games coming up. We'll preview a few of them coming up here in a few minutes. As I don't like the Monday-Tuesday games for the Elite Eight. I think the games are better on Thursday-Friday. Into the weekend, but with the new schedule, with COVID, we adjust. And the NASCAR race is on right now. On the dirt in Bristol, it looks amazing. It's on Big Fox. It was canceled yesterday due to the rain and all the crazy weather in Tennessee. And now they're running it now, 23 laps into 250. It looks really cool on Fox. 
with all the dirt flying up as they put dirt on Bristol. A really cool new look there if you like NASCAR. Nick in New Jersey. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead, Nick. Thanks for calling. How's it going, JT? It's uh, Mitch. Good, Nick. What's happening? It's my accent. Hey, i never seen an offseason with a Razor uh, looking pretty good, at least a B-plus. Um, I think these go offensive linemen because they're taking care of the wide receivers um, kind of pretty much, and the defense line especially. And the running back was a good pickup, Drake, also. Well, the defense, uh, the defense, hold on. The defense has been bad. The defense has been bad, and they improved it with Yannick Ngakwe. But this defense has been a, you know, it's been a weak defense, and I don't know if bringing in a couple of free agents is enough. I still, I still hope, Nick, that everybody understands that defense was the priority a month ago. And because a couple of free agents came in, a few of them who are not going to make the team, because there's not enough room for all of them that we don't forget about the defense in the draft. I said I'd rather get a defense guy. I don't. I don't care for offensive linemen. In the second round, uh, I'm still mm-hmm. going to hop on uh, Amare St. Brown. I think he's a good wide receiver. He's underrated from USC. Um, I hope they could grab another wide receiver. It's the offense of the game. And thanks for taking my call, JT. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I'm not looking too deep into what. Whatever the Raiders want to do in the second, third round, I think it should be the best available player. It's got to be. They cannot, in the second and third round, look and say, hey, that's the guy we want. We saw that with Lynn Bowden. We saw that with Amik Robertson. We saw that with players that were isolated to get, and they didn't work out, or they haven't worked out yet. I think the best available player on the draft board at any position other than quarterback you know, tight end, obviously, everything else is open. If it's the best available player as a linebacker, get him. If the best available player is a free safety, you got to get him. If the best available player is a corner, you get him. And obviously the offensive line. Does everybody agree with me on that? Or do you think that this is going to be, hey, there's this one player we think that we can get in the third round. The guy's not going to be there. He might be drafted ahead of that. So it's tough to do that. My, in my opinion, this year is the Raiders have to got, they got to play it safe. They got to play to pick a player that they know is going to be unique, not a tweener, not a slot corner, not someone that they believe can play safety, but played in a small conference or played cornerback in a small conference. Go get the big name player on the big team who's still on the board in the first three picks, and I think they're going to do that, and I think they're going to really hit home runs. With that, that 17th pick, as you can tell today, is really all that I'm focused on. Hey, before we get to college basketball, because Roxy's going to join us here in a little bit, I am furious that the Lakers got Andre Drummond, and no one cares about it today. I talked about this on my show last night, that Andre Drummond got bought out by the Cleveland Cavaliers because the Cavaliers didn't want to pay his contract anymore. He's a big 6'11", 7-foot center. And he's a guy who could lead the league in rebounds or block shots. He's a monster. He's not Anthony Davis. He's not a super elite center, but he's very good. And the Lakers should not be afforded the luxury of getting him because they should have to make a trade at the trade deadline. And their roster's been set. But because Cleveland quit on their team and their fans and made him available by buying him out of the contract, Drummond got to choose the Lakers, just like Blake Griffin got to choose the Nets. And LaMarcus Aldridge just got to choose the Nets. And I think this is a really important integrity issue going forward, that imagine this league for the next five years. 
if owners decided to buy out players who were once really good, they were all-stars, elite players, and then just decided to say, I don't want to pay that guy. I owe him $30 million a year for two more years. He's not that good anymore. I'm going to say goodbye to him, and then he wants to go to the Lakers. It doesn't equal out the competitive balance of the sport. None of these guys want to go to the bad teams. They don't want to go play in Orlando. They don't want to go play in New Orleans. They don't want to go play in Charlotte. So what's the league turning into? That these players can get bought out and then all choose the Nets or the Lakers? How are you supposed to have a balance in the league if all the released players just want to be Lakers? Here's Frank Vogel, the head coach of the Lakers, pretty thrilled that they get this player considering all the injuries they have. We're all thrilled that Andre Drummond, the player of his caliber to our team, is one of the best centers in the league. Uh, someone that every every defensive uh, coordinator is going to have to account for and to figure out how to how to you know uh, handle him while they're trying to slow down AD and Braun and our guards. And um, you know I think he's going to give us a big lift in the immediate future. And then obviously uh, you know when we get going, you know. Um, He's just one of those guys who can dominate the game on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, his physicality is something you have to count for. Imagine if the NFL, if all the owners wanted to get out of all their contracts after the trade deadline in the NFL, and they started letting go of really good players. And all those players said, I just want to play for Kansas City or Tampa Bay. That's what's happening in the NBA. It's an integrity issue to me. You have to secure the league for the underachieving teams. You have to make sure they have a fair chance. And just when the Lakers were going through a really rocky road in their season because of sustaining injuries, which is part of sports, they get the safety net in Andre Drummond. I find it ridiculous. I think it's going to change the competitive balance. And it looks like all anybody wants to do now is play for the Lakers and the Nets. Is that, is that what you want to do? You just want to play for the Nets for the rest of the year or the Lakers? What is this? Does anybody care about this other than me? This is insanity. It's insanity because all it does is give owners on bad teams the ability to say, buy them out, get them out of here. We don't want to play them anymore. Oh, by the way, we got 20 games left, and we're going to sit his ass on the bench with street clothes, and then he's going to get rewarded by going to the Lakers or the Nets? Now, look, if you're a Laker fan, I get it. You're pretty happy. If you're a Net fan, which I haven't met one, never met a Net fan in my life, yeah, you're pretty happy. But in general, it's insanity. You cannot do this. I grew up a Yankee fan. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. All people told me my whole life was, you buy championships, you buy championships, you buy championships. And there's a lot of truth to it. But New York's in the number one media market, and their ownership had the most money. And they always wanted to win. They always wanted to win. The Oakland A's never want to win. The Oakland A's start off wanting to win, and then they let the payroll get in the way. Then they get cheap, and then they start trading players, and then they're never at full strength, typically. Recently, they've been good. So if you can't afford to own the team anymore, you just can't afford it, sell the team. I've never seen an owner sell a sports team for less money than he bought it. So this is insanity to me that the Lakers get Andre Drummond. The Lakers, two, three days ago, we're on the verge of going from the three seed to the seven seed. Now all of a sudden, Andre Drummond walks in the door and no one says a word about it? The only guy who talked about it was Stephen A. Smith today about the Nets because the Nets got LaMarcus Aldridge. You think he's any good? For those who think he's not that great, wait till you see Aldridge in the playoffs. Fresh, fresh legs when he's on their low block along with Kevin Durant 
James Harden and Kyrie Irving and tell me how old he looks then. It's bizarre what's happening in sports. It is bizarre. They need to tell these players that you can get bought out and get your money, but you can't go play somewhere else until the length of that contract is up. That would stop these lunatics from tanking and sitting out all the time. I really don't see it any other way. If you do, let me know. Uh, Manny in Denver. Manny, thanks for waiting. Appreciate you calling. Yeah, no problem, JT. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. Good, good. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about Micah Parsons, man. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a freak. That dude would be a great pick. I just don't think he gets past Denver at nine. So I so go trade. So go him. trade up. So go trade up and get Micah Parsons. What do you? That's that's the conversation I want to have. Yeah. What do you give up though? What's that trade value look like? Right. You go get the guy you need. Defense needs help. I'm with you. You go take BPA, and I would be thrilled if they traded to eight to jump Denver right there. But what do you give up to get? You got to give up a number one. You got to give up a number one to move up that high. You don't give up a number two. You got to give up. You probably got to give up a number one to do it. And I know that hurts a lot of Raider fans. This is the only time, my friend, that I've ever talked about trading up and giving up a number one since Khalil Mack. Now I think if the Raiders are going to win in Vegas. They might have to do that at some point, maybe not this year, but to get an elite defensive player who can anchor the Raider linebacker core for 10 years, like Ray Lewis did, or some of the great linebackers that we've seen. The only way the Raiders might be able to do that, as you know, is trading up because you can never expect a player to be there at 12, 15, 17, 21. You got to get aggressive. Yeah, I'm with you. If they do that, hey, I'll be thrilled if they get into eight. But like you said, it'll be, you know, obviously pick swap this year. Next year's mm-hmm. one as well is what I think it takes. And, you know, maybe a couple other things. But I would be thrilled if they moved up to get Parson because that dude is, uh, yeah, that dude's the dog they need on defense right there. So, and then uh, to your NBA thing, you know, it does kind of, I'm a huge Laker fan. So thrilled with mm-hmm. drum, but I get what you're saying. Um, you know, a couple years ago, well, she's 10 years ago at this point, 10, 11 years ago, with the Knicks Chris Paul thing, remember it was the big markets mm-hmm. have too much power. So you, like you were saying, you have these little market teams, the small market teams that go and buy these players out to go there. So it's in a, in a, in a sense, the same kind of thing happening just through the buyout market at this point. So just my thoughts on that as well. So Yeah, I appreciate the call. See, the buyout at the NBA trade deadline, any team can trade with another team. So you want to trade. You're a bad team like Orlando. You're struggling. You're a bad team. You're Cleveland. You can make a trade. Now, the team might, the Lakers in Brooklyn might not want to trade with you. They don't like your players. So what happens is these owners on bad teams are just buying out contracts. And I really am disappointed how the Spurs did it. The Spurs are a playoff team. They're the seventh seed. So they want to get away from LaMarcus Aldridge. That doesn't make their team better. And they might be out of the playoffs because of this move. But they want to save money. And, again, it's just another way to help out the elite teams. I think the elite teams already have a pretty good advantage, don't they? The Lakers. Don't the Lakers have a pretty good advantage to begin with? Why give the Lakers another loophole where they can make another move and be that much better? And both my sons are Laker fans. Now, I'm a Knicks fan. My kids grew up in L.A., and they loved the Lakers, and they they loved Kobe. They loved Kobe. And I'm not here a LeBron basher. I think LeBron has the ability to be better than Jordan when it's all said and done. But LeBron's hurt. High ankle sprain. Anthony Davis is out with a potential Achilles issue. Then all of a sudden walking in the door is a seven-footer who looks bigger and stronger than Darren Waller and Aaron Donald. And you add him to your playoff push? Why don't we just play a best of 27 between the Lakers and the Nets now? 
Or, you know, let's just do that. Let's just stop the season and let the Lakers play the Nets because that's what I think Adam Silver wants to do. He doesn't care about anything else. These elite teams continue to get better. I think they have a tremendous unfair advantage. 702-365-9200 as we wrap it up. Roxy Bernstein's going to check in as we reset the tournament before the games tonight. We're brought to you by Grimaldi's. Cold-fired brick oven pizza, a must-have. For anyone craving great pizza during March Madness, locations, Boca Park, Fashion Show Mall, the Palazzo, Green Valley, I love Grimaldi's. I'm a New Yorker. It's the best pizza I've ever had. Singleton up top to Hawkins, seven to shoot. Hawkins against Shackleford out front, shot clock at five. Hawkins dribbles right, step back three from the wing. Got it! Jaime Hawkins! Oh, man, there's been some great basketball, and the Pac-12 is the story. What a run they're on. How's your bracket doing? Forget about your bracket now. Just enjoy the games as we got two games tonight, two games tomorrow. The play-by-play broadcaster from ESPN, ESPN Radio, Pac-12 Network. Uh, Roxy Bernstein, my good friend, kind enough to join us. Rox, good to talk to you again as the Pac-12 flexes his muscles. How are you? Isn't it amazing? JT, it really is. And it's been, uh, what, since 2001 was the last time there were three Pac-12 teams. It was the Pac-10 at the time in the Elite Eight. And just some phenomenal basketball. The the UCLA-Alabama game was great. What a performance we saw from USC against Oregon. Tell me about the USC recruiting and how Mo- the Mobleys are there, the transfers. How do they end up putting this team together? What's the backstory? Well, first off, Andy Enfield made a pretty shrewd hire when he hired Eric Mobley as an assistant coach. Now, Eric Mobley was a pretty good player in his own right uh, and has done some coaching before, but Andy Enfield hires Eric Mobley to join his staff at USC as an assistant coach. And, oh, by the way, he has two uh, McDonald's All-Americans for Sons, and that's a pretty good foundation right there. And you throw in these transfers, and look, it's the, it's the name of the game right now in college basketball, JT. It's the transfer portal, right, where players are coming from other areas and other schools, and they're finding a place to play in a new home, and they're flourishing in it. For example, Taj Edi, a grad transfer, playing great. Drew Peterson to USC comes from Rice. Isaiah White is a transfer from Utah Valley. It goes on and on, and it's not just USC, JT. Oregon's team was built this way. Um, it, it, right now, if you're not playing the transfer game or the transfer portal, you're falling, you're falling behind because it's the wave in college basketball. Roxy Bernstein joins us. That's fascinating to me. So the transfer portal, the grad, the grad player that graduates and still has eligibility and can transfer, typically a mature player, a, a player that had to go a different route before they got that second chance to play at an elite program, and the coaching staff believes that they can get valued minutes out of them. That's how you're building this, huh? It, 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 that's the way it's being done right now, and players maybe aren't happy with their – situation or if they're flourishing at a lower level like a mid-major and they want to challenge themselves at a power conference whatever the reason is it just seems that the transfer portal right now it's like free agency in college basketball jt it i you look at the schools and it's about 40 percent of the players end up in the transfer portal 
And the numbers keep climbing. It's going to go up again this year, and it's remarkable. And you look around. UCLA, for example, Johnny Juzang transfers in from Kentucky. He's a West Coast kid, didn't like it playing at Kentucky, comes back home, and he's had a great run with UCLA. It really is the wave, and all the college basketball programs are adopting this method, and it's working. Roxy Bernstein joins us. So Alabama misses all those free throws. And UCLA just found themselves in a position to win the game in regulation. What do you think of Mick Cronin? Not fouling. And not fouling at the end. The way they were set up on defense there. He said his team bailed them out. But were you surprised by that as you've called UCLA games and know him from the past? I am surprised they did not foul. Because how many times do you see it? Down three, a kid gets a look at a three, you knock it down, you go to overtime. And the opportunity was there. When Alabama was bringing the ball up, it looked like Tiger Campbell and I think Jaime Hawkins were in position maybe to foul. They didn't do it. Bama hits the three. You're going, "Uh uh-oh, now it's over. And they missed their opportunity. And it's going to come back to bite them. But give them credit. Juzang fouled out, and they stepped up. Tiger Campbell was huge in the extra session for UCLA. And I've always been of that mindset, JT, you got to foul. Now, something you've got to practice, right? You can't just go out and you have to be prepared for the situation. And I know teams do it all the time. They work on stuff like that, end-of-game situations. And you have to execute it right. And UCLA got lucky. They got burned. But then in overtime, they found a way to win the game. Roxy Bernstein joins us. So tell me a little bit more about Oregon State. I know we talked about that a bit last week and how they're able to get it done. Wayne Tickle and this team, how they built this team. Was it, was it different than what you told us about USC and UCLA? How are they doing it in Corvallis? Very different route, JT. If you went back and you watched game film of Oregon State back in November and December, this was a lousy basketball team. They were not good. And they were right near the bottom of the Pac-12. They were picked 12th in the Pac-12 preseason media poll in the standings in the conference. Wow. They've used that as a rallying cry all season to really fuel themselves. And then in about mid-January, Wayne Tinkle maneuvered the lineup a little bit, made some tweaks. And ever since then, they have found a rhythm. They're playing outstanding defense right now. And they're mixing it up, throwing some junk defenses out at you. And it's just improbable the run they've been on. They had to win the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas to get in. And in three consecutive days, they beat UCLA when they rallied from 16 down in the quarterfinals to come back and win. They beat Oregon. Then they win the championship game against Colorado. Then they win each of their first two games, Tennessee and Oklahoma State, by double digits. And then everybody was just predicting a walkover for Loyola of Chicago. And Oregon State answered the challenge and Their defense was suffocating, and this has been an unbelievable run, an improbable run, the real Cinderella story for the Pac-12 with Oregon State. Roxy Bernstein joins us. So do you think this format is working because of COVID and all the pauses and shutdowns this year that we go extended into Monday, Tuesday with these games, Oregon State, Houston, Arkansas, Baylor? What do you think people's viewing habits are going to be, considering not everybody's back to work, no one's in a high-rise office tower anymore? Maybe that comes about by this time in a couple of months. And we got big-time games on a Monday and Tuesday, usually when everybody's traveling back on Sunday from Vegas and all these spots where they want to watch the tournament. Well, it, you know, it made the Sweet 16, gave them big windows 
on mm. the weekend. So there was more visibility with the Sweet 16 game. So they were all spaced out. I think it has worked out fine for the TV partners in the NCAA this year. They've done a fantastic job in Indianapolis. I was out there last weekend uh, for the first couple of rounds, got to see it, and the, the quasi-bubble that they've created, which, look, it hasn't been an easy existence, JT, for the players inside and the sacrifices that they've made. But here they are, and especially these eight teams that are left with still a chance to play for that ultimate goal and the national championship. And I think the way that it is set up this year has really benefited, I think, the TV numbers and, and the limited fans in the building. So we're seeing more eyeballs on these games, I think, this year. Hey, let me follow up with that, Roxy. So you went out there. What do you think overall of Indy getting that? Because there are other cities that would like to be in that situation. Again, hopefully we're not in the situation ever again, especially a year from now. But the way you are traveling into that, the restrictions that the players and coaches have not to break their bubble, and then you see the fans that are coming into the building, and I know they're not all tested, and I don't know how you keep an eye on that protocol and that number. So you think Indy did a great job, huh? I do. There were limited fans in the building. It depended on the venue, how many people were getting in. But there were six different venues that they used, including Lucas Oil Stadium, which had two courts with a uh, huge curtain lined up across the 50-yard line, dividing the arena into essentially two places to watch a game. But they rented out four or five hotels, and there was only teams and their support staff that were in those facilities. And so you look around the different buildings in, in the Indianapolis area, plus it helps. I think the NCAA offices are there. But you had Lucas Oil. Uh, Bankersfield, where the Pacers play. They even used Indiana and Purdue to play some games. Butler, and I went to Hinkle Fieldhouse, which was a fantastic venue for this. And with the close proximity of all the places that made it doable, and again, I think they really did a nice job of trying to insulate themselves and pull this off as best they can. And we've only had one team that had to deal with a COVID issue, and that was VCU in the first round when they had to be pulled out of the tournament because of some positive tests, and that gave Oregon a walkover in the second round. And that's pretty remarkable considering the way everything was shaping out, that there only had one issue with one team there in Indianapolis. Roxy, one more on the way out. You're in the Bay Area. The Niners trade up to number three. That's a big statement. You don't do that typically unless you want a quarterback. They got Jimmy Garoppolo. I think their window now... They're still a contender there, but their division got a lot tougher since they decided to make this move. What's the buzz like in the Bay Area for that dramatic trade-up? Well, they're just assuming that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be heading out the door. But if you listen to the 49ers, that they're committed to Jimmy G for this season. Now, we'll see how this plays out. But, yeah, you're not making this move if it's not a quarterback. You're mortgaging your first-round pick this year to go get that guy. So John and his staff must have identified the quarterback. We have an idea. Look, Trevor Lawrence is probably going one. You think Wilson might go two. But the Jets already have Sam Darnold. So what happens with the number two pick? Now, maybe do they have intel? Because Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator from last year, is now the head coach of the Jets. So they have an idea what the Jets are going to do with the two pick. That maybe this move up to three. But it's no doubt it's going to be a quarterback. It's just a question of which one is it. You're hearing it could be Mac Jones. It could be Fields. 
whatever route the 49ers want to go with the third pick, Lance, it's definitely going to be a quarterback, and they're going up to get their future guy. Thanks for helping out throughout the tournament, Rocks. Appreciate it. See you soon, bud. You too, JT. Take care, bud. You too. Roxy Bernstein, great analysis as we have two games coming up tonight, Oregon State and Houston. I like Houston. They destroyed Syracuse and Buddy Buckets, Buddy Bayheim, and you know Arkansas, Eric Musselman's friend of the show. I've been sending him tweets after the game congratulating me, and he gets back to me very quickly. Very impressed with Muss. I'd like to see Arkansas win. I just think Baylor will be too much. And then we'll have games tomorrow as we're here, and we'll look forward to that. So that's where we are, everybody. It was a big day today to talk about the draft. Felt like a little bit too much Niners on the air today, but hey, Raider fans, I got to do a talk show if you're not ready. I'll wait for you tomorrow. We're talking the draft. Any angle you have, any angle I have, we got two hours a day that we got to make this work together with all of our great partners. And they're the best of the best, and we appreciate that. Head on out to NEPTs and get ready for March Madness tonight. A great night to try a PTs in your community that you haven't swung by in a while. All the games will be on tomorrow. We'll get into the Golden Knights, and we'll get back to more draft news. And the Deshaun Watson news, as of today, isn't good either. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio. Always appreciate your support on the flagship. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.